everyone, and thank you for listening to the 19th ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing great, Cameron. I'm doing so great because I was on my way to work today, and my coworker called and said, there is a power outage at work, <laughs> and... They're sending everyone home, so I didn't have to work today, and I don't have to work tomorrow either because the power is still out, so I'm just on cloud nine. Nice. How about you? I'm doing great because I get to sit here with my friends, talk about Mizzou sports. That's nice of you. Can it get any better than that? No. All right. Well, um, we have a good show today. We um, we have good news, bad news. That's what we're going to do. Mm. We're going to play good news, bad news because okay. uh, the basketball team lost, but the football team won. So we'll recap all of those, look at the upcoming basketball schedule. But first, we got a few news items, nothing too major. Everybody knows this first one already. Mizzou football was able to crack the college football playoff top 25, and they came in at number 24. So they are finally ranked. They weren't ranked in the AP or the coaches poll, but those are irrelevant mm-hmm. because of the college football playoff. So number 24. So just right there on the yeah. edge of the four-team playoff. Just cracked the uh, <laughs> just cracked the top 25, almost made the playoff. Uh, <laughs> but no, it's, it's well-deserved. And I know that the coaches and the players have been pretty outspoken about uh, wanting to be in the top 25. So um I, and I think they they were right in in thinking that they deserve to be there, and, and maybe even higher. Uh, I don't. I think some of them uh, said that they deserve to be higher. So yeah, they were all over Twitter, even um, taking off from our our account, mm-hmm. podcast account, Twitter. Uh, mm-hmm. The tweet that you sent out about being in the top twenty five that got a lot of action from the players. Yeah. They were definitely happy to see that and promote it and stuff. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's really cool, and it's just exciting. It's it's good for the program because. Now for the next month, whenever you see number twenty-four Missouri against whoever they're going to play on the on the ticker. Yeah, for, when they announce the bowl game on Sunday, it'll be mm-hmm. number twenty-four. When they, you know, pick the bowl games, it'll be number twenty-four. You'll yeah. see that over and over again. Yeah, it's it's good. Uh, little recognition for for the team. All right, and um, these other two items are kind of uh, small potatoes, maybe in the big picture. But Missouri got two um, commits to the football team. Um, we're trying to figure out if both of those are preferred walk-ons. I know uh, offensive lineman Trenton Cedarwall was a preferred walk-on. I'm trying to figure that about figure that out about uh, 2019 defensive end Trent Townsend. Um, yeah, it's looking like a preferred walk-on because honestly, I really haven't seen anything about it. I saw something on on Twitter about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can double check that tweet on Twitter. And then you had. Uh, unofficial visitor for this weekend yeah uh also tomorrow uh christian varner is going to be on campus and he is a defensive lineman or defensive defensive end specifically uh from georgia um and he is a nice looking prospect and i think a couple of the other schools that he has been taking a look at are kind of in flux right now with coaching i think georgia tech was one of the schools uh that he was was pretty serious um, about and they just their coach just retired and the, one of the other schools that he was in on also is having some kind of turnover so uh, it might look pretty good for Mizzou and Christian Varner. Cool. Um, 
I'm just adding this in here because we've talked about it previously, but it's been a couple weeks. Um, there's a big announcement coming early next week on Tuesday, December 4th. So we won't be um, doing an episode again until after um, Kelly Bryant's announcement. And I just thought we could mention that it seems like it's a three-team race between Missouri, Arkansas, and Auburn. I even hesitate to put Arkansas in there because how could they win any recruiting battles right now? But mm-hmm. um, with his connections there, it seems like it's down to those three. So be looking for that on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, at this point, I think I would be pretty surprised to see Arkansas in the running. I think it's pretty much Auburn and Mizzou here. And uh, I think we tweeted a, f- a few days ago that it just kind of seems like Mizzou's the most stable landing spot for Kelly Bryant right now. Yeah, there's been a lot of rumors swirling around Gus Malzahn. Right, yeah. Auburn is just, after some of the things I've read about Auburn in the last few days, just with the pressure from the fans and it seems like some of the blackmailing and just horrible things going on in the administration, I'm not sure, honestly, who would want to be involved in that program right, right. now. And, like, Gus Malzahn's... Uh, buyout is 32 million and it's still possible they could pay him 32 million dollars to not be the coach there and if i'm him honestly i'm saying i'll take my 32 million and i'll take a year off and go coach somewhere else next right. year or two years down the road uh, because it just doesn't sound like it's worth dealing with the things he's going through right now and so i'm not sure i want to be the starting quarterback at a program like that where everyone's just insane apparently so possibly going through a coaching change right kind of being up in the air and then i also heard as well today that their um offensive coordinator might be taking a look at the open offensive coordinator position at tennessee okay so just everything about auburn is weird right now Um, but it's still auburn and it's still a very prestigious program and you never know what's going to happen yeah Uh, north carolina is still out there um they had a bad season this year so they're kind of in the same boat as arkansas as far as like looking at immediate success for a guy that's only going to play one year um missouri definitely looks to be the place where if you were going to win for one year you got the best chance Mm -hmm. all right so i'm going to leave it up to you kyle do you want to do bad news first and recap missouri's loss in basketball to temple or do good news first and talk about the football win over arkansas uh i'm fine to get the bad news out of the way okay that sounds good. So Missouri lost to Temple 79 to 77. Um, it was kind of a back and forth game. It was very frustrating to watch at times, but then that last, the last half of the second half was so fun um, when they kind of mounted their little comeback. It was really exciting to watch and it was disappointing how it ended, but they played stretches of really good basketball surrounded by stretches of just awful basketball. Yeah, I kind of have seen that off and on this year. It's just the team isn't good enough to consistently perform well. But in this, the same thing happened in this game that we've seen in other games is that Missouri has actually shot well mm-hmm. whenever they take shots, but they just are so inept as far as just making routine passes and breaking presses and stuff like that that they turned over the ball so much yeah and it's not it's not sporadic it's well it's kind of sporadic but when it happens it happens all at once for a three to five minute stretch and then it calms down a little bit but then it happens again so 
Yeah, I mean, the the first half was kind of back and forth. Missouri was on top for most of the first half by one or two possessions. But then, of course, there was a run. Temple went on a 16-4 to run to close out the first half. So they took a 10-point lead into halftime. And it was just like, as you're watching, I was just like, okay, here it is, this late first half run that's going to put Missouri in a hole they have to try to dig themselves out of. We've mm-hmm. seen that already a few times this year. Yeah. Yeah, definitely the the end to the first half was awful, and I almost felt like the game was slipping away already, even at that point. Yeah, I thought that was the football team's thing, was to end halves like that. (laughs) Um, Another just small detail in this game that I was just kind of shaking my head was in the second half, um, when Temple kind of went on a run. I honestly don't remember at what point this was in, uh, but... I think they kind of got like a breakaway layup or something, and Tillman is just so, and understandably, he's so scared to foul mm-hmm. that he just kind of let the person score, and I don't know. I was just like, man. It wasn't like on a, in transition. It was just a post guy. I think it was in open. transition. Oh, okay. And uh, I don't know. It's just like, we, we are fighting so hard to score points right now, and I don't know. It's just... To, to, to give them such easy points is just it's frustrating to to let that happen so easily whenever it seems like we're fighting for our lives on the other end of the court to score so and that kind of had ca- capped off a run where of, of not so great things that that had yeah. happened so yeah um i mean coming out of halftime down by 10 i kind of thought the same thing as you like it's just going to be a struggle the entire second half so when they were able to they came out actually shooting the ball well to start the second half but um temple was just answering every time they like cut it to five and then six but then finally um i think that stretch you were talking about was when temple pushed it out to 11 because it was 71 60 um Mm -hmm. and then missouri was able to go on a 9-0 run to cut the lead to two and then it was like I, that was like three minutes left. There's plenty of time left in this game. They're only down two points. I just couldn't believe that they were back into it. But I just think they played so well for the stretch there to get back into the game that they were just bound to have some mistakes, some e- give up some easy baskets and turn the ball over a couple times because it was just it's not sustainable when you have to dig yourself out of a hole and then to go on to take the lead after that is just a completely different animal. But uh, Jordan Geist was really clutch there to even keep him as close as they were. He had two really big threes. Um, he had one when there was a minute and a half left and cut it to again to a two-point lead. So it was 74-72 uh, at that time. And then um, his second three came just a couple minutes or about a minute later to make it 77-75. But then uh, Temple made both of their free throws the next time down to make it a four-point game, and that was it. Mm-hmm. So they, the last three minutes were kind of exciting, but they just couldn't quite get over the hump, and Temple made their free throws when they needed to. So mm-hmm. then that dropped Missouri to 3-3, three and three, and immediately after the game they dropped to 97 in the Ken Palm ratings, and now they are 101, which is... Triple digits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was obviously some encouraging things. Yeah, it was good to see them fight back a little bit in the second half and make it a game. It was good to see Jordan Geist recover from, I think, zero points in the first half. Yeah. And, and what did he end up having? 11. 11. Yeah. So 11 points isn't a ton, but definitely it felt like they were all in the second he half, took so. over at the yeah. end of the game. So that was that was good to see. And I'm not sure that whenever Jordan Geist 
uh, entered the Missouri program a few years ago that we would ever imagine that he would be our go-to guy. Maybe that's a bad thing. But, I still don't think it's ideal, yeah. Right. Uh, but I still think it's it's also a testament to how far he's come. And uh, he, he definitely looks like a different player, even to last year. Um, he At times, he'll kind of get that panicked look and turn the ball over. But I still think he's kind of our rock as far as uh, handling the ball and, and making those clutch shots. So he did – I and I don't even know that – a couple of those threes at the end of the game that he made were advised shots, yeah, but it was not like, they went in, so yeah. we'll forget about it. <laughs> it wasn't like necessarily in the flow of good ball movement and stuff. One time he just kind of stood there for a little bit and decided, okay, I'm going to have to shoot this and drained it. But I think, yeah, he played really well in the second half. I thought I was disappointed that he wasn't able to get to the free throw line like he did um, in the Paradise Jam because he was getting double digit free throw attempts, mm-hmm. I think, in every game there. And he didn't get to the free throw line once in this one. So that was uh, a pretty big difference. Missouri did okay as far as free throws. They actually attempted 20 to Temple's eight. So that was really good. Um, They were only able to hit 14, which is not awful at 70%. So you can't really expect much better than that, but two free throws, you know, two more free throws there out of 20 ties it. So (laughs) there's always room for improvement there, but what did you think overall about the officiating? You, you can you can speak from the heart if you want. I probably really didn't watch closely enough to have a really strong, okay. incredible opinion about the officiating. I'm I trying. Thought, go ahead and yeah. yeah what did thought, you think about I it? I thought it was was pretty good. Um, I think teams, certain teams, are really good at putting the refs in a difficult position. Teams that have really physical guards that apply pressure even in the half court just are right up on the ball and are really physical. Mm-hmm. Um, they put the refs in a position and basically say, okay, are you going to blow the whistle every single time? Because, and, and that frustrates me. I mean, we saw it last year with teams like West Virginia and um, Arkansas. You know, it is always frustrating to play those teams because especially when you don't have super strong ball handlers like and you have young guys and you have some young guys who don't have a lot of weight on them don't have a lot of muscle yet they're not very strong so it just seems like they get pushed around and there weren't that many more fouls called on temple the they missouri was able to get a lot more free throws but it just drives me crazy just watching really physical guards that challenge the ball every single time because I just want there to be fouls called and I might be in the minority of that. I know p- people would say that that like slows the game down and isn't fun to watch, but I've always thought that the players will adjust mm-hmm. if you're calling fouls and just to free up the offense. I think it's more, it's just a more enjoyable game if the offense is freer and there's more points being scored, more players, more guards getting into the paint. That's at any level, I just think. Mm-hmm. Call more fouls and make the players adjust to it. Okay, so would you advocate also for Missouri to be more aggressive in attacking the basket? Attacking the basket for sure, yeah. Because yeah. um, that's one thing I noticed was that I don't know anything about running an offense at any level, but it seems to me like there's a lot of standing around, waiting for Jordan guys to make a yeah. move, and I don't think that anybody on this team is – is ISO go make a play kind of right. person. Yeah. Uh, and so for the fact that doesn't, we don't have anybody on the team that can do that, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of uh, 
continuity of, mm-hmm. in motion going on. Yeah. At least from just a broad perspective from Yeah, me. it seems like so far in offense they've been relying on catch and shoot threes, which they've been doing they've been shooting a decent yeah, they percentage actually, on they catch have and been shoot threes. Recently. And just traditional post entry to Tillman mm-hmm. or Nico. And then the third thing that's kind of in between is well it's it's not catch and shoot, it's Purrier kind of getting it on the elbow and driving, which he has done successfully to some extent but we like you said except for Jordan Geist taking his man off the dribble in a pick and roll or a mismatch we have not been seeing guards get to the rim Mm -hmm. at all yeah and I think that has something to do with them just being young and you know not very strong and not able to drive through contact Mm -hmm. yeah I, I think I've liked what I've seen at times obviously out of Mark Smith I think he can get to the bucket I think Pickett has the ability to get to the bucket. He's long, and he's done. He did that a few a few times last night. But I still think that this team needs more out of Watson. And I know that it's tough to have expectations on a true freshman, but it. And obviously, he's coming from an interesting situation where he was playing against, you know, like class three or whatever, yeah, class two think, or whatever. I think that's huge. Yeah, the uh, fact so that he played class his three. His adjustment period is probably bigger than we probably realized, and. I don't know. So maybe our, our expectations should be extremely tempered here. But it, it would be nice for him to grow up as, as quickly as possible because I think this team really needs him. But, and he'll, he'll be there. But Yeah, I think of those three that you just mentioned, Mark Smith, um, Watson, and Pickett, I'm most comfortable with Watson being your just catch-and-shoot guy um, exclusively. Like if one of them is going to only do that, it should probably be Watson because he's not used to the physicality of mm-hmm. Division One basketball yet. Like right now or just... Right now. Okay. Yeah. Um, and Mark Smith and Pickett should be the ones really pushing to get to the rim first. And then, of course, if they're, you know, running a play for a, an open three, mm-hmm. you take that just in the flow of the offense. But um, so, yeah, I wouldn't... As far as expectations for Watson, I wouldn't expect him to be that guy who's just going to put his head down and drive to the basket and finish through contact right mm-hmm. now. Um, but I think with him, it's all about efficiency, um, making good use of the minutes he's on the floor, which that was a huge thing. He and Penson combined for six turnovers and just three points and two assists in 28 minutes. So they each played 14 minutes mm-hmm. and they combined for more turnovers than points and assists combined. Well, Pinson was another guy I was going to ask you about. Was he seems like a guy who can get to the basket, but which is normally not something we'd complain about. But he's he's definitely pass first at least right now. Mm-hmm. And I almost think that he should try to shoot more, not shoot, but but try to get finish right. Yeah, exactly. To try to finish more because sometimes he gets so close and he actually is really good at penetrating the lane and then tries to you know, dish it off or whatever, and it gets mm-hmm. stolen away. So uh, I almost think that he should try to just finish some of those ones that he's get in, getting in the lane. But yeah. uh, he definitely has the ability to to get in the lane. Uh, I just would like to see him not turn the ball over half the time yeah. that he does. And it. I think um, that's just going to be growing pains mm-hmm. with a freshman guard. I and mean, we knew that coming in, yeah. that Pinson would probably be the, especially be the guy that we just is frustrating to watch this year. But yeah. so we got to deal with it. Yeah. I think uh, Perrier and Tillman in this game specifically were solid. Um, they combined for 30 points and 16 rebounds. Um, 
they each played 30 minutes and they combined for just two turnovers. So um, overall, I think they were exactly what you hope for. Um, Tillman had a double-double, I believe. So um, he did still turn the ball over when they came with the double team one time. That was kind of frustrating, but it was just the one time that he struggled with that. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's clear to me that Tillman is a better player than he was last year. I know that I've seen some some debates about Tillman's development online, and some people think that he's worse than he was last year, and I think that's pretty far off, to be honest, because he just is featured in an offense now. He's the, he's the go when we talked about it, he's the go-to guy now, but he is still, you know, able to do ridiculous things, mm-hmm. and um, uh, a few shots didn't fall for him the other night that you know, I think are good shots. He's obviously not fouling at the rate that he was last year. Right. Um, he's, he's just able to finish in a way that, like, Kevin Perrier mm-hmm. is just not able to. He's right. able to finish even in a way that Reed Nicko's not able to, right. where he's just that much more athletic and... And tall. I mean, he's yeah. got, with the arms and the height combined, I mean, right. he's got six to eight inches more than, right. or maybe even more than that, than, than Kevin Perrier. So... Yeah, he, his athletic ability is ridiculous. And and even comparing him to Jonte, where Jonte was kind of softer around the rim and mm-hmm. laying it in more, and Tillman just slams it any chance he gets. He yeah. wants no doubt that this is going to be a basket. Yeah, so obviously there's room for improvement still with his rebounding. I think at that size and athleticism on the on the other side of the coin is we he probably should be able to rebound maybe more than he, than he is right now. But I think it's him just adjusting completely to a new role and expectation than he had last year. I thought it was interesting that um, they combined for 30 points and 16 rebounds. Do you ever think in a single game, Jeremiah Tillman alone in his Mizzou career could get 30 points and 16 rebounds? Yeah, I think so. Probably not this year, but next year against... I don't know. I, I honestly, I want to say against some nobody, but if they're playing some nobody, he's probably not going as hard. So right. it's probably against some good team where he's having to carry the team. Yeah. I bet he, he could do that. Definitely. I think so too. Yeah. Just you see it though. I mean, you see where he could put it all together and in a game where he gets, you know, where, where he's able to shoot the ball almost, you know, probably 18 times. And he's just getting good looks at the rim, you know, finishing alley oops and stuff. When there's some of that, more of that chemistry. I think um, in future seasons, he he and Xavier Pinson could create an issue for college teams in a pick and roll. You know, with him rolling to the basket and Pinson with his ability that we've seen to get to the rim. I think if they converge on him, he'll just be able to lob it up to Tillman, and that I think is we've talked about his NBA future and I think that's where he could make uh, make himself a spot in the NBA would be at a elite rim protector and just finisher around mm-hmm. the rim super high percentage finisher yeah, that's definitely. where he's gonna have to sort of make those things his calling card as well as rebounding but that's a given yeah and I just think that whenever these freshman guards uh, get a little bit more recognition in the league and start to become more of a threat that'll just free everything because right now everybody knows Tillman and that's about it yeah. so um, once everybody kind of starts making a name for themselves they'll they'll show up on the scouting report and that'll free up Tillman a little bit I think 
you mentioned just for a second uh, Mark Smith, or as we affectionately uh, refer to him as Ma Smith, because that's how it reads on uh, <laughs> uh, box scores and on the back of his jersey. So Ma Smith, he led the offense with ninety uh, with ninety uh, nineteen <laughs> points on seven of ten shooting. He was three of five from three. He also um, threw in six rebounds and only one turnover. So. Um, yeah, he he was a bright spot on offense. I wish he would have shot the ball more, actually. Mm-hmm. And I think moving forward, I was going to save this for later, but moving forward, I think he needs to be shooting the ball more mm-hmm. until these averages kind of level out again. Let him let him shoot his way back down to earth if he wants to keep shooting threes at a fifty percent clip. I mean, he's sixteen of thirty one right now, so absolutely. Um, just keep letting him throw him out. Yeah, I, I think I've said this several times, but. I'll say it again. Can you imagine this season without Mark Smith? Ma yeah. Smith. <laughs> it's just, man, this would be a cold, dark winter without without Ma Smith. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, looking at the roster, I don't know who steps up for for those extra points. I mean, yeah. I, the next best percentage-wise three-point shooter is Javon Pickett. He's five of twelve. So, even, pretty small sample yeah, size. Yeah, even smaller sample size. So, but I mean, he's a guy that I think should be shooting more too. I mean, mm-hmm. um. I think he passed up a couple open looks. He, he's got a quick enough release that I think he should just pull the trigger on some of those. Mm-hmm. Um, he was kind of, and which is typical for a freshman, he was kind of deferring to Jordan Geist a few times, and it kind of seemed like it was more of a, uh, here, you shoot mm-hmm. it at times, especially when with the shot clock running down or late in the game in a big spot. He was seemed a little bit reluctant to, to put those shots up, but I was super impressed with Pickett's defense. Um, mm-hmm. I forgot to write down the guy's name, but uh, the the main player for Temple was number one. I'll grab his name here real quick, but um, more often than not, he was being guarded by Pickett, and they actually, his name is Quentin Rose, and he's listed at 6'8 as a junior. I think if he's 6'8, then Pickett is easy 6'6, so I don't know how much uh, I believe those measurements, but he's considered by many to be a, an NBA level talent. So, um, he scored 18 points, but it was on, um, 17 shots. So he was not efficient. He was one of three he, from the free throw line. He didn't get to the line. And I think a lot of that was Pickett sort of frustrating him. And he was visibly frustrated with Pickett in the second half. They were kind of going at it and it was fun to watch, but Overall, I think the defense did well on the perimeter, and it was. I kind of talked about that they would try to run him off the three-point line, but they Temple still took a lot of threes. But man, they just were getting so many easy looks. Their bigs were getting so many easy looks at the basket, mm-hmm. just easy layups. I just at one point I was just like, what? What are? What's the? Where's the breakdown here? Uh, why are they getting so many easy looks? Because you right. know that that is not part of the plan. Mm-hmm. And I apologize. I have watched a lot of basketball games this year already, but was this the game where Temple, at one point in the game, the shot clock was running out and they like banked a three? Was that this game? I don't remember. I think it was in the first half. But those kind of things were just happening in this game. But the defense is, I agree, has to be better inside and, and on the perimeter. But I would... Like you said, I was also impressed with with Pickett's defense, and that's what's going to get him on the floor. Mm-hmm. Is just, I think that's what has got him on the floor already. Right. I mean. Yeah. So, at this point in the season, well, I guess I'll I guess I'll say this. I, I don't know how you fix turnovers. I mean, I, I'm not yeah. a coach. I, I mean, you would think by this point it wouldn't be an issue of 
playing together more. I mean, they should be comfortable with each other as teammates and know each other well enough. I think specifically with the issue of inbounding the ball, I think they're overthinking it. I think, first of all, on a made basket, you can move your feet, and they Mm -hmm. don't, which I don't really understand why. Second of all, just throw it in immediately. I mean, there's times where they wait too long and then the defense reacts to it yeah and sometimes immediately after the basket or after the turnover turnover or whatever it is just throw it in immediately. just make quick decisive yes. passes and they're making like the, yeah exactly they'll, they'll get the ball under the basket and just even though the guy is fairly open they'll yeah. just kind of stare him down and panic and yeah. look around for another guy they're just thinking so much about not turning the ball over instead of just like if if it weren't for the ton- turnover history, I think they wouldn't hesitate to just throw it into the guy. Yeah. Um, I think Jordan Geist definitely does a better job of positioning himself to make it easier for the inbounder, and I think that's something that Penson will get better at and learn. He, and he with his size um, and strength, he just can't position himself the way Geist can. But yeah, I mean, just watch for that next game. Just. The times that they struggle to throw it in, note if there was an opportunity immediately to just throw it in really quick. Because I was I was noticing that over and over again that they just needed to even get the ball like out of their per hands. Year, even yeah. like experienced players, yeah. I'm just like, what are you doing? Like throw it. But yeah, so, uh, but that added up to 15 turnovers again, which yeah. and that number is not as important as the Ken Pomeroy's website keeps track of um, turnovers as a percentage of your possessions, and so in this game turnovers made up 23 percent of missouri's possessions which is just awful now that's better than the 35 percent of the iowa state game which is just unheard of mm-hmm. but i I've, i think i actually read a tweet that that 35 percent is one of the highest like that kim pom has ever recorded wouldn't surprise me yeah so um we knew i said in the preview temple's going to try to turn you over they did just that they don't turn the ball over themselves so it was 15 to 5 in the turnover battle which led to a lot more shots for temple it led to more defensive rebounds for missouri Uh, missouri won the rebounding battle 38 to 25 so i think that was one of the reasons they were able to claw their way back into it but part of that is just because temple shot the ball 14 more times Mm -hmm. so you have more opportunities for rebounds have you seen a more disappointing stretch of basketball than the like double inbounds turnover? <sighs> that I mean, the, I, I seriously was just like, I give up at this yeah, point. I, that was and, all, so awful. And it's little moments like that that get in the players' heads, right. I think, and then that's when they sort of freak out, freeze yeah, up. Not and, only did they just give the two possessions away, but now they're all kind of like frazzled, and, frazzled, right? Yeah. Very frustrating. Um. I was happy with the the only bench contributions really came from Mitchell Smith, who um, in my head I now refer to as Pa Smith if Mark Smith is Ma. (laughs) So um, Mitchell Smith. He looked okay at the beginning of the game. I thought he Yeah, he he didn't play a ton. He played 17 minutes, made that three. Yeah, I don't don't like expect a whole lot out of Pa Mitchell Smith at this point. He looked confident shooting the three, which was good. Yeah. Um, His first ever three. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. He uh, had four rebounds. He, he Where I was most impressed with him was at the free throw line. He was getting to the free throw line. He made three of four th- free throws. Mm-hmm. So I think if he can do that, you know, that's a decent contribution off the bench. That's what I would look for. But at this point, it, it seems like Conzo is determined to 
play Mitchell Smith. I don't know over Reed Nico, Reed Nico or Nico only played five minutes. I don't know so. if those two are connected as we think maybe they are sometimes, but yeah, they're probably not as much as we thought maybe after the very first game because Nico's never going to shoot a three, so right <laughs> that that is definitely not going to overlap. And I, there was one specific moment. Um, we talked about get, Temple getting easy looks at the basket from their bigs. There was one specific moment where Nico just lost his man and he was, just made an easy layup. And I don't know that he – I don't think he actually came on the floor, came back out onto the floor after that play. And I was watching – and that, but that wasn't just him. That happened to Tillman a couple times. And I think – I'm not sure where the breakdown was, but the Temple guard – would get to about the free throw line and then our post defender would step up and I don't know if he if that guy was not supposed to do that or if he's supposed to do that and somebody else is missing a rotation to come down low but every time the post defender would step up the guard would just dish it down low for a wide open layup that probably happened four or five times maybe not that many probably four times maybe at most but when it does happen like that, it's just so glaringly obvious that they're going to get such an easy basket. So yeah, you see it coming before right. it happens. So, like I said, I don't know if that's on the if that's on Nico and Tillman or if that's on somebody else that's supposed to be rotating. But that's that sort of thing seems like an easy fix that Conzo can be like, look, this is something that's happening. This right. is what you should be doing here. And I think credit to Temple too. I mean, they're a well-coached team, and I think they know what they're doing. They're a pretty good team. So obviously, a game that Mizzou probably should have won, but uh, I, I wasn't surprised by that result. So Yeah, I mean, there's multiple ways Misery wins that game. Uh, obviously not turning the ball over as much. Mm-hmm. It's that end of the first half stretch. And part of that stretch was just not making baskets. And th- they actually shot really well from three. They were 11 of 19 for 58% from three. But again, less than 50% from two, 48% mm-hmm. from two, mm-hmm. which is just not going to cut it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So at this point, we've got to just try to be as logical and level-headed sports fans as we can and just realize, if you haven't already at this point, this team is frustrating to watch. It's young. There are limitations. There are limitations. Uh, There are young players. Uh, But I think there's a lot of potential out there, and these guys are going to be playing together in the future a lot. So just... I know it's really difficult, but try to just enjoy the struggle that we will endure this year, and hopefully we'll see uh, someday these guards kind of turn the corner and start to uh, play better and play together. Literally turn the corner and get to the basket. Literally turn the corner and (laughs) and be more aggressive and get to the hole, and uh, we will be happy when that happens. So just uh, remember this feeling. And I think there's obvious room for improvement. I mean... When you're that bad at turning the ball over, we saw it last year. They were so bad turning the ball over at the beginning of the season. Mm -hmm. They couldn't get any worse. So they did improve marginally, and that helped them win a few more games. Mm -hmm. I think they've been so bad at scoring the ball in the paint, they can improve. I mean, ideally, the post players, Tillman, Nico, and Perrier, they need to be shooting greater than 50%. Mm -hmm on their twos and then that leaves some wiggle room for the guards to be more aggressive and you know typically guards aren't going to be as efficient scoring in the paint as big men so but and even with Perrier, i can live with a 50 percent line 
every time from him because he's doing a little bit more, stretching the floor a little bit more. But Tillman's got to be more efficient, and I and I think we will see that. I mean, this was the Temple's a good team. They play good defense. It was a bad matchup, um, but I I don't know. There's there's room for improvement. However, I don't know if it's going to come immediately because oh it definitely isn't segue it's not going to come immediately (laughs) missouri plays ucf at home and ucf is number is ranked 42 in kempom and they're five and one they have three wins over top 100 teams and they are excellent at preventing you from scoring in the paint they hold the 16th best two-point field goal percentage for opponents so and conversely missouri is number 266 in two-point field goal percentage so it is a strength versus a weakness here and so in other words they're gonna have to shoot really well again yeah they're gonna have to shoot more threes and shoot shoot really well get to the free throw line um, those are things that I think they can do. A um, little, little more backstory on UCF. Um, Missouri played them last year. Actually, it was a road game for Missouri, so this is the last of a home-and-home. Home. Um, they still have seven foot six senior Taco Fall, and he, get this, is posting an 81% field goal percentage on two-pointers this season. And he hasn't shot a three, so he is shooting 81% from the field. That's got to be up there uh if he were to do that for the whole season i he might run into some minimum shot attempt issues but i I, if he did it for the whole season he wouldn't run into that and that would be that would destroy single season records oh yeah remember the season that ricardo ratliff was like leading the country he was in like the high 60s lower 70s 70s, yeah most of the season and he was um up there it's like top 10 mm-hmm. all time i think in single season well that's pretty much percentage. i mean he had a similar role i mean there was four guards on the floor that just shot from everywhere so he just kind of stood under the basket and cleaned things up and yeah they and fed he had, him um phil pressy dishing him the ball right, exactly helped every player that pressy played with so and he was good too i mean yes I, absolutely don't get he me wrong was really he was good very at finishing. good <laughs> yeah um but uh fall is not really the premier player on this team he's the headline getter just because he's seven foot six um but he all in addition to 81 percent field goal percentage he also shoots 29 percent from the free throw line oh my god (laughs) and uh, naturally he blocks a ton of shots but um he actually doesn't foul very much which to his credit is impressive so but forget about him for a sec um tillman didn't have any trouble with him last year i i Fall is not going to make or break this game for UCF. Um, he splits about half of his time with a sophomore center, um, but that guy's even less of an offensive threat, in my opinion. So the scoring output for UCF is not going to come in the post. It's going to come from their big wings and guards, namely B.J. Taylor and Aubrey Dawkins. They lead the team in minutes, and they both score over 15 points per game. Do they so, shoot a lot of threes? They don't shoot a ton of threes. Um, they just make a lot of them. <laughs> they they are just efficient. Their their guards and the wings in particular are really efficient. So, um, as far as how many threes they shoot, um, 
threes are not a high percent high percentage of their total points. Um, two pointers are a much greater percentage of their total points. What's their most impressive win this year? Their most impressive? It's not not very impressive. Um, Ryder, St. Joe's, and Western Kentucky were all around Ken Palm 100, so right about where Missouri is sitting. And in those games, UCF won fairly handedly, so they they won by they won one of those by 20. They beat St. Joe's by 20 on a neutral floor. They beat Western Kentucky by 16 on a neutral floor. But that's and that's what's kind of caused their Ken Palm rating to mm-hmm. skyrocket. Have, have they so. played any uh, true road games yet? True road games, no. Okay. So that'll be maybe an interesting advantage to Mizzou's favor, as well as the biggest thing is that they do not really force turnovers. So yes, that's those that, are the two things that are going to keep Mizzou in this game. That is actually huge. Um, they do not make it a priority, and that's a good thing because they are not good at it. So... They also don't turn the ball over, but Missouri isn't really trying to force too many turnovers. If you want something to watch tonight when you go home, um, it'll be too late for our listeners, but they play Alabama um, at in Orlando. So mm. um, still another, another home game for them, and they're projected to win that game, but um, that'll be one that I'll kind of keep an eye on the score and see yeah. how that goes. Maybe a little give you some more insights on what the Missouri game might look like. They're actually, uh, according to Ken Palm, they're favored in Columbia, so that's kind of a big deal for Missouri to be the home underdog. Oh yeah, that is interesting. But I and I think Missouri will struggle to score at times yeah. because their defense as a whole is just really good. I mean, when you have giant post players, six eleven, and then <laughs> seven foot six, I mean, it's going to be tough for the guards to get in there and do much. So. so, what has hurt Missouri the most so far? Dominant post players or outside shooting? Do you? Th- I feel like it's been well, kind of both, obviously, but. I don't know. I don't think n- no team except Kansas State has really shot the lights out against Missouri, mm-hmm. um, and they Kansas State. Well, they had that stretch where they just did whatever they wanted, but they shot a really high percentage from three. I just think, honestly, the turnovers affect so much of the game for Missouri because it's almost hard to it, get a read on their defense because so many points are coming in transition. Yeah, and they sort of get in this like flustered state where and they get in these holes because of these runs where they have to play perfect defense for so long i mean it's a good it's a perfect analogy for a football team that the defense is giving so much giving up so much points that the offense plays tight and feels like they have to be perfect and i think that's happening with this mizzou team where the they're turning the ball over and getting in these holes where they need consecutive stops and they have to pay play almost panicked offense to feel like they're playing catch up right and so well, they're I, not turning over turning and, it over and there's stretches where they play such good lockdown defense and they force those consecutive stops but i think they just can't sustain it when they they have to be doing it for the entire second half to get back in a game like we saw just in this past game so I, I still think we haven't seen enough um, from Missouri to really gauge how how good their defense is going to be um, for the whole season. I think when you look at SEC play, I, I still think the defense will be in the top half, and I think the offense will be squarely in the bottom half. Um, if the defense can make it into the top third of the SEC, 
that'll make a lot more games winnable. But uh, the opposite is true. If the offense falls into the bottom third of the SEC, it won't really matter what the defense does. So I don't know. Um, so what's your prediction for the UCF game? For this game, I, I actually think Missouri can win it, and I'll predict that Missouri wins it. I think they should take more threes until they – I mean, catch and shoot threes in the flow of the offense. I think they should just go for it. Um, there's no sense in trying to get the guards driving to the basket against these ginormous post players for UCF. I think – if I think it's realistic that Missouri can have a turnover percentage of 20% or less. Last year, they won games with crazy high turnover percentages. They've won games this year with around a 20%. So that's the mark I'd be looking at is 20. And I think guys getting back to the free throw line will be huge. I think if they can do a few of those things mm-hmm. with the home crowd behind them, I don't know. It, the crowd looked kind of kind of sparse in the last game, and it's a Sunday afternoon. I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. people want to see a seven foot six player, and that'll yeah. bring bring the crowd. But I do think Missouri can win. I would. I'll predict that Missouri wins. I was actually going to do the same. So it, it is interesting to think how. Well, I don't know if I would say how could how good they could be, but how much better they could be if they just turned it over at like an average rate because I definitely don't think shooting is necessarily the issue. So, uh, right. So that will be something interesting to watch in this game against UCF because they don't turn the ball over a lot. So will Missouri take advantage of a a defensive style that fits their offensive style? I guess you could say, but a much better. better matchup than temple. Right. So I think Missouri wins and I think we will go against what we said earlier about not seeing immediate result immediate improvement from young guards and i think torrence watson will uh have a solid game okay i sure hope so i can tell you one thing if he and pinson combine for more turnovers than points and assists combined they will lose i don't think they missouri will ever win a game where they do that because that's just crazy i can't disagree with you there the good news, as far as basketball is concerned, is before we record again, they will play UT Arlington, which is 3-4 and four on the season and ranked 228. So there's not much to say about them. They have two wins. They actually beat Northern Iowa, who's having a down year, and UC Davis. They lost to a 314th-ranked team in A&M Corpus Christi by six. They also lost at Indiana by 14 and at Arkansas by 18. They're just a terrible offense. They cannot shoot the ball. They turn it over a lot, and (laughs) their defense is mediocre at best. I think that's the game where you see Missouri have a really good game shooting in the paint. Mm -hmm. I think uh, Tillman. A little double-double action for Tillman. Yes, and I think Perrier should be able to take advantage of lesser competition i mm-hmm. think that's perfect for him when he's he definitely does that when he's going up against another undersized big i'm air quoting um he can just devour them sometimes and yeah. i mean these this team will be vastly undersized compared to missouri because they have one guy who's six nine but he only plays 30 percent of the available minutes and nobody else on the team is taller than six foot five wow so Missouri's going to so win that one. So if we don't one. win that one by 15 or 20, then... 
I, uh, I, with this Missouri offense, I still, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15, 12 ish <laughs> was, is probably, I mean, 15 would be awesome, but I'd be totally happy with a 12 point win where mm-hmm. they're just jump out to about a eight to 10 point lead and just, so what you're saying is central Arkansas is horrible. Central Arkansas is pretty bad. I'd have to look at their rankings to see how they compare. Because yes. that's been like our biggest win of the year so far. Yeah, Central Arkansas is ranked 277, so UT Arlington is a smidge better. Um, but yeah, 12 to 15 seems about right. I'd put it at 12. UT Arlington would totally just collapse Central Arkansas then is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> I'd take UT Arlington every, all day. That'd be a great game. Up. Yes, I would, I would pay to see that. So, well, hopefully we're uh, coming off a nice win against UCF going into uh, UT Arlington. That would be huge because they could easily win three in a row here because they go they they play Oral Roberts at home after that, and then they have two really tough games against Xavier and Illinois, which I hate. I still think the Xavier game is winnable. Okay. Yeah. I mean. Because Xavier's not that great <laughs> this Palm year. has it as a uh, a win for Missouri yeah. by one point at Interesting. home. So we'll, we'll, see. Uh, we'll see if they're still favored after they lose to UT Arlington. <laughs> oh, jeez. Don't, don't put that into existence. I, I apologize for, <laughs> for even saying that. All right. You're, anything else about basketball before we move on? Uh, nothing other than ball is life. That's true. No truer words have been spoken on this podcast. So... Football. Let's talk about some happy things. Missouri destroyed Arkansas. Mm -hmm. It was a rainy day in Columbia. Let me set the scene for you. Kyle and I predicted blowouts. We predicted 50-something to (laughs) 20-something. We had the point spread about right, Mm -hmm. 30-something there, but Arkansas actually scored zero. Missouri was able to give them the goose egg and win 38 nothing man i know that the weather was awful but arkansas's offense was so bad yeah their their offense was worse than ut arlington is at basketball <laughs> like uh, ut arlington's basketball team might have been able to score a point they probably would have settled for a field goal at least yeah when arkansas went for it on fourth down absolutely so. well um Missouri did anything they wanted on offense. I mean, it started early. They fed the ball to Larry Roundtree. He ran the ball seven times on the first drive alone. And we should note that uh, Demaria Crockett was not available for this one. It's kind of weird that he's never played against Arkansas. I know. It is strange. Um, There's some cons- cons- uh, conspiracy theories start to come out. Yeah. I mean, I think this was sort of just like a preventative thing. Like, I, I tend to think that if they needed him desperately, if yeah. they were, you know. I think so. If this game were to put them into the SEC championship game or something like that, he would be playing. But um, they really didn't need him because they had another running back by the name of Drew Locke who ran it in on the first play, uh, <laughs> or the first drive, from nine yards out for a score uh, to make it 7-0 Mizzou. And we would see that again a little bit later. But um, what do you think about Drew Locke being the dual threat? Uh, he is able to do it in very perfect scenarios whenever it the only way he can do it is if he has a wide open lane on like an option play like that and i'm honestly kind of surprised that that option has still there for him yeah because he's done it several times in the year i can actually recall only one play i feel like this whole year where he 
the plan was to throw the ball from the start, and he just kind of right. wriggled out of the pocket yes. and, and ran for a touchdown. And I think that might have been against, like, Wyoming or something. Yeah, so it was earlier this year. And he had one more that was for a first down only. That right. was kind of the same deal. So but. especially at the uh, at the next level, he's very much still a pocket passer only. Yeah. I don't even think that any teams will use him for, like, an option no. like they're doing right now. I, I so would doubt it. Yeah. I don't. I, mean, I don't know. And so, uh, I don't know, whenever you see him, you know, running a, a touchdown like that, I'm not sure if the scouts, if that really means anything to them whatsoever, yeah. or if it's, uh, I mean, it's obviously it can't hurt. Right. But. I mean, if if you're looking at the NFL and a team that I think would be likely to do something like that would be a team like the Chiefs or the Eagles, where they just like having lots of options on every play. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, I suppose that it, but we don't really see that from the chiefs. Yeah. I mean, if we, if a team was going to do that, it would be those type of coaches and they don't really. So yeah, I if prefer they, honestly not to see Mahomes like running through the open <laughs> right. field. So. so if they don't do that, then I don't see any other team that would draft. Yeah. Uh, Drew Locke would be doing that either. No, but, uh, the Missouri defense started out really strong. Of course, uh, Arkansas went three and out. Missouri went three and out. Arkansas ran four plays for negative six yards, and then <laughs> Missouri went three and out again before Therese Hall was able to get an interception off of Ty Story. That and might have been the worst play I've ever seen. Like, I was just watching that play, just like kind of like laughing to myself because yeah. it's like, had, wow, it was awful. He had nowhere to go with the ball, but he decided to throw it anyway. Yeah, they took their quarterback out, uh, Ty Story. They took him out of the game at one point. I, they were just putting in like random guys. At, yeah, th- uh, eventually. three quarterbacks played. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, but uh, might as well. Yeah, Missouri was able to uh, take advantage of the short field, and but that was the whole first quarter. It was that one touchdown drive by Missouri, and then a bunch of three and outs, and then the interception. But they started with the, they started the second quarter with more Larry Roundtree and then a nice completion to Emmanuel Hall, and that was when Locke ran it in again. This time from three yards out, so it was 14-0 Mizzou. And then on Arkansas very Arkansas's very next possession, that was the um, strip sack by Jordan Elliott that was recovered in the end zone by Akeel Byers, mm-hmm. and just like that, it was 21 nothing. And this ball game was over. Yes, this this game made me definitely open my eyes to how talented Jordan Elliott really is, mm-hmm. and I think that we could legitimately discuss the fact that Jordan Elliott may have been better this year than Terry Beckner Jr. I uh, think if you look at like havoc plays, um, which is a stat that I don't know who keeps track of that, but it's kind of an, an advanced metric. Um, he was definitely in on more havoc plays than Beckner. Um, they're both solid run defenders, which doesn't always jump out to you when you're watching the game like a sack does, especially a, a strip sack. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think there's definitely an argument to be made. I think I thought where you I thought you were going with that is that we'll be having a conversation of him playing next year and then leaving early for the NFL. Yeah, I think he, he'll be here next year, but he I think he could be very highly sought after after next year if he... Yeah continues to develop but i i think that i knew he would be impactful this year but i thought that we would kind of see him in spurts uh, you know just kind of off and on a little bit because i think that's what he'd struggle with in the past was he would show you know like a nfl lineman at times and then at times we he'd just disappear forever so his consistency was way better this year 
than and and got continually better throughout the year than I expected to see. Mm-hmm. I think uh, another part of that was just because the pass rush in general just improved so much in the last few games. I don't know if that's a product of bad O lines or or if probably, but, but I think that we also found a better lineup of guys. I think adding a Kale Byers mm-hmm. uh, kind of halfway through the season, he played a lot more, and uh, I think they kind of found their dream squad a little bit with uh, with Turner and Byers on the, on the edge, and mm-hmm. obviously Beckner and Elliott in the middle. But um, we it, it was definitely a good thing to see this D line so good this year and. Being good against the run is off. It, they were fantastic against the run this year, and that's not something we've seen yeah, that, for a while. That definitely continued in this game as well as we'll um, get to later. But I was watching this game at my grandparents' house doing a second day of Thanksgiving festivities, and I. It's always interesting when you're watching games with family members. I'm sure anybody that's listening to this podcast understands exactly what I'm about to say because. As someone who watches every single game and researches every single game, and now we talk about it and broadcast it to people, we know a lot about Missouri football. And so it's always interesting when you're around family members who are a fan, but they sometimes they look to me with like specific questions about the team and stuff, or they make have some assumptions about the team that aren't quite accurate. But so. Uh, my grandpa and I were watching the game together and he, I think it was when Therese Hall got the interception, I turned to him and I said, Arkansas is not going to score. With the way the weather was going and they just looked so inept and I was just kind of putting it out there as like a bold prediction, but I was like, Arkansas is not going to score in this game. And we'll get to this in a minute, but I'm kind of skipping around here. But every time Arkansas got into the red zone and then went for it on fourth down, well, on third, when it became fourth down, my uncle and my grandpa were saying, looking at me like, oh, they're going to score. It'll be a field goal, but they're going to score. And then they would bring the offense back out, and I was just cheering because I was <laughs> like, yes, they're going to go for it and fail, and they're actually not going to score. And every time I was like, surely they'll just kick a field goal to get you yeah. know, get the ball rolling a little bit, get three on the board. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they never did, I don't know. I was just delighted every single time it's they brought so the funny. offense back out. Yeah, I definitely have been in that position before with someone who's like a casual fan and they're like trying to strike up a conversation and they make some really bold like claims yeah. that you know are it not happened, really accurate and you're kind of like, so I don't much. know. It happened so much with Michael Porter Jr. because he yeah. was in the news so much. Oh, it, I mean, it's just like... You, I, just, you have to kind of tone it down a little bit because yeah. you're like, like you, you don't want them to know that you spend like five hours a day like just as a personal hobby like reading things about the zoo athletics online you're just like yeah i don't really know and just, <laughs> even though like, you definitely know not along or just be like okay like how long do you want this conversation to be I mean, right we could talk about this for a while um you mentioned the back getting back on track here we you mentioned the backup quarterback for arkansas he came in um after another three and out and of course, he had a 18-yard completion and a 15-yard completion because he's the backup quarterback. So you're required, I think, by NCAA rule, if you are a backup quarterback and you enter the game against Missouri, you're allowed at least two long passes on your first drive. <laughs> I think you're onto something. So I wish they would have told us that at the beginning of the year because mm-hmm. we could have just, you know, like oh, that's just the, that's just the that. rule. It's like yeah, required. They have to. What are they going to do? So. Yeah now that we know that it just changes you know how i look at some of the other games but 
Anyway, they were not able to finish off that drive. They didn't kick the field goal. They went for it on fourth and five. The backup quarterback, Connor Nolan, got sacked by Therese Hall. He had a heck of a game. And um, the offense came back out on the field. They actually returned the favor by going for it on fourth and two from the Arkansas three. I thought for sure we were going to see Drew Locke again. I thought he was going to get his third rushing touchdown there. But they just handed it off, and he got stuffed. And uh, Arkansas couldn't do anything with the ball, of course. So they punted from their own end zone, giving Missouri the ball in Arkansas territory. And they made quick work of the short field. Tyler Beatty had a 32-yard run. And then Locke found Emmanuel Hall on an interesting sliding catch in yeah. the end zone to make it 28-0 going into halftime. Yeah, he makes those catches sometimes. They're just like, how do you catch that? Yeah, and it was then, like a baseball slide. Yeah, and he so just kind of like caught it on his hip. And then, you know, obviously some of the drops we've seen him make are like, yeah. but uh, yeah, going back to the play where Drew Locke was like stuffed at the goal line whenever he tried to run it at just it like did not look good like he kind of yeah. was like standing straight up when they were trying to like twist him down on the ground i was like holy crap if drew lock tears his acl <laughs> in his last home game in like i swear to god <laughs> i will i will do destructive things you're always thinking those positive thoughts i know but it just it looked really bad like <laughs> with the way he was tackled and i was when he popped back up i was like thank you god <laughs> i don't know what i would do if we had another mizzou injury yeah. Anyway. So that was halftime. That was the first half. And I think... This game was so out of reach, yeah. like, that it was almost boring. Like, yeah. I don't find Mizzou football oh, boring yeah, very there often, were many, um, especially if we're winning. Yeah. But... There are many reporters and journalists saying, like, let's just go home. Like, yeah. Let's this, get the story's written. Get these guys out of the rain. Let's let the fans that are uh, toughing it out go home. Let's, let's get out of here. But... Alas, there was another half of football to be played. They should have done the like Delaware State thing, <laughs> shorten the quarters. Yeah, well, Missouri tried to do that a little bit, I think, especially in the fourth quarter. They, they shortened it as best they could. Um, Arkansas started the second half with another three and out, of course. Um, I actually missed this play. Uh, Kendall Blanton ended up returning the punt. He fumbled it, so Arkansas got the ball back. I was late getting the game back on after the half so i'm not sure what happened did you just say kendall blanton yeah that's re what returned a punt that's what espn had in the play-by-play there's play. no so, way that can be right um according to espn he fumbled the ball <laughs> back to arkansas um after arkansas's first possession of the second half tweet at us and let us know what we we're missing i'm trying there. to like remember what even happened there I don't, I don't know. know. Honestly, I kind of like wasn't paying attention that much in the second half. Yeah, like I said, I was late getting the game back on to start the second half, so I missed it. You were taking your Thanksgiving nap. Yeah, something like that. I think I was out in the other room playing board games with the family or something. Um, but Arkansas was able to take the next drive after the fumble all the way down to the Missouri four-yard line, and I thought for sure they were going to score, but they went for it on fourth down and failed yet again. Then Missouri had a beautiful... 96-yard drive with the help of a free play catch and run by Emmanuel Hall that went for 67 yards, and the score was 35-0 Missouri. Emmanuel Hall is pretty good at football, and also Drew Locke is as well, and they make a very good connection that I'm going to miss next year. Definitely. Um, I don't know. But we'll have the Kelly Bryant to Jalen Knox connection to replace fine. it. <laughs> or... Kelly Bryant's going to just break off a 67-yard scramble for a touchdown next year. He does that as well. 
Um, Arkansas thought that the third time would be the charm as far as going for it on fourth down, but of course it was not. So they turned it over on downs yet again, and Missouri got a field goal on the board to make it 38-0, and then it was all punts from there. Drew Locke took his obligatory one snap of the fourth quarter, handed the ball off. Everybody just punted the entire fourth quarter, and that was it. 38 nothing Missouri. Yeah, I think it. if the weather was, like, sunny in 70, and I don't know, I think if Barry Odom wanted this game to be 70-0, to zero, it could have easily been. Yeah, I mean, nobody would have said, I can't believe you're letting Drew Locke play the fourth quarter. I mean, his last right. home game, nobody would have freaked out about that. You're right. So, I mean, 40, you know, 48 points was I mean, easy. Mm-hmm. And just getting 10 points in that fourth quarter would have been a given if Drew mm-hmm. Locke plays the whole fourth quarter. But, um, I mean, they brought Semi Bakari in, so there was no they, – they completely let off the gas and just ran the clock out the entire fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, Drew Locke still ended up with good stats. He was 16 of 25 throwing for 221 yards and two touchdowns to go along with his two rushing touchdowns. So I've just been impressed with – He's just, this is kind of a cliche word, but a workman-like performance where he just goes out there, does what he's supposed to do, mm-hmm. makes the throws he's supposed to make, is efficient. It's what we wanted to see from yes. him this year. That's what we, that was almost like a measuring stick of how we were going to determine if he was a better player this right. year and if he was more ready for the NFL was if he just did exactly that, went out and took care of business instead of trying to you know, light up the scoreboard or whatever. So. Yeah, and Derek Dooley has definitely... Um, helped him achieve that, I think. Definitely. Uh, Larry Roundtree had a great game, 29 rushes for 119 yards, and Emmanuel Hall in his last game, last home game for Missouri, six receptions for 153 yards and two touchdowns. And this is where we say, what if he had been healthy all season? That That's the question that keeps me up at night, Cameron, and yeah, I sometimes just cry myself to sleep thinking about what this year could have been but i'm also don't like to live in sadness all the time and i'm also happy that we won eight games this year and barry odom is going to be uh sticking around unless he goes to louisville yeah that's just kidding happen. <laughs> um yeah so yeah quick note on that i guess we should have put that in news that's yeah. kind of news but it kind of blew over by the time we right. were able that, to talk was, about it that was news for about 24 hours the whole barry odom having interest in the louisville thing just very quickly we'll shut that down and just say I think that was posturing from Barry Odom and his agent, probably just to move the the process along a little bit, uh, hold the fire to Stirk's feet a little bit. And uh, but to Barry Odom's credit, as the first time he was specifically asked about it, he said he has yeah. no interest in Louisville. Yep, he shut it down. Yeah, I think a raise and extension will be coming in the next week or two, if not sooner, and we will hopefully ride off into the sunset for next year. Yeah. Um, last note about this Arkansas game for me was just overall how impressive the defense was i know i mean missouri has a good offense they were able to withstand the rain like it wasn't it wasn't south carolina monsoon rain so it was still fairly typical rainy football weather but the defense just completely shut arkansas down 187 total yards for arkansas 135 passing 52 yards rushing 1.3 yards per carry well that's awesome yeah, if, if Mizzou's defense is going to be that good and 
obviously the the offense is is what it is. I really like our chances against a lot of teams in the top twenty five. Yeah, I I don't know specifically, but I feel like we could probably beat easily half of the teams in the top twenty five. Yeah, I know. Um, it's kind of frustrating the way the bowl system works. Um, I was hearing some rumors about the Music City Bowl in Nashville that they like the natural matchup for that bowl would be something like Purdue versus Missouri, which is not great for Missouri considering they already beat Purdue on the road and Purdue has a worse record than Missouri. So it wouldn't be much in the way of it's high risk, little reward for Mizzou to play Purdue in a bowl game. But it's looking, there was a rumor that it would be something like Purdue versus Vanderbilt, which would be a more prestigious bowl and then Missouri would get knocked down to something like the Liberty Bowl which is less right. prestigious just because of the way they don't want rematches and and things like that. I just don't understand why they would want Purdue over Missouri. I mean or Vanderbilt. I mean if you, you cuz they have to take an SEC well typically an SEC team plays in that uh, Music City Bowl. Right. But Vanderbilt playing in that is not going to do anything for Nashville's economy and that's part of hosting a bowl game is you get a bunch of people in your hotels you get a bunch of people going to your restaurants from out of town and Vanderbilt playing in Nashville doesn't do anything for them yeah you're just you, driving from home you definitely true I mean you try to pick a team that's close because their fans will travel but that's literally too close right exactly um yeah so um I, yeah the whole pecking order is weird and I would really like to see Missouri in the in the Music City Bowl against you know Wisconsin or Michigan State or something like that you know yeah. a bigger brand name and I don't want to play Purdue again right uh, and I don't think that would happen anyway but yeah and that's, those are just rumors right mm-hmm. now um, the official selections will come out on right. Sunday so it's we'll find out almost always something other than what you think it's going to be yeah. but um, and and they'll do the Music City Bowl committee will do what's best for them so mm-hmm. they'll try to grab the best matchup available to them. It just seems like Missouri's got a lot to offer with, you know, eight and four in the SEC. Drew Locke. Obviously a potential number one quarterback off the, off mm-hmm. the draft board and Drew Locke and kind of a team that's hot right now. And I don't know, just, see, I mean, obviously I'm a fan, but yeah. I'm trying to, I still am trying to look at it and as an unbiased person, yeah, something and that actually it makes seems sense. like they, they would have a lot of appeal over some of the other teams that they could choose from. Yeah. Anything else about this matchup against Arkansas? Man, it was fun. This It was so fun, it was boring. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just glad that they, you know. I like when Arkansas sucks. Yeah, that is really great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad that Missouri took care of business down the stretch. We always talked about those last three games and how they were mm-hmm. they were must-win, but it wasn't like stressful must-win. Mm-hmm. It was like, I was these still are teams like, that you beat. I wouldn't say nervous, but I was still like a little bit just like prepared mentally for the for that game being close mm-hmm. just because rivalry games are weird and yeah. that Mizzou Arkansas game is almost always close right so but once they got out to like 21 nothing and Arkansas looked like a high school yeah their team offense, on offense was just so like, inept okay, it was just, just yeah yeah never in doubt all right um there's there's only one game to pick this week so we'll do SEC pick them plus Nebraska SEC championship edition so no nebraska game unfortunately bummer yeah um no championship game no for nebraska (laughs) maybe next year maybe maybe next year we'll be picking 
Nebraska in the Big Ten Championship and Missouri in the SEC Championship. I'd be fine with that. Okay. Um, we'll go over last week real quick. We both got points for Iowa winning a nail-biter against Nebraska. I don't have my fingernails. They're all gone. I I wouldn't either if I was a Nebraska fan. That was, that was a close one. Um, mm, uh, Mississippi State beat Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl, so we got a point there. Alabama won the Iron Bowl, and Vanderbilt beat Tennessee. And then I picked up one point for picking Texas A&M, who won a crazy seven-overtime game against LSU. I'm actually really disappointed that I didn't watch any of that. I, I just was watched about the to highlights. Ask, did you watch it? I no. did not watch it except for literally the very last play. I was like, <laughs> holy crap. I, like, I saw on Twitter, like, yeah. this game's going crazy. And I kind of had seen, like, it was like in two overtimes. I was like, oh, a crazy game. And then it was like three or four, and I was like, oh, okay, this is really crazy. And then when I saw it was in like seven, I was like, I have to turn this on right now. Yeah. And so right when I turned it on was literally the last play when Texas A&M got the two-point conversion to win it. That was insane. I mean, but I just watched the highlights. I think it's it, the highest scoring FBS game ever. Yep, it would, broke You never would have thought records. LSU would be in the yeah, highest scoring game ever. Yeah, it was 74 to 72, I think, was the final score. It was insane. So um, I picked Texas A&M, and they gave me one extra point. So wow. going into this championship edition, Kyle sits at 39 points. Cameron sits at 54 points. So, <laughs> Georgia versus Alabama. So this is not very interesting. <laughs> um, I was thinking, I don't know, I'm just spitballing here. We could tweak the game a little bit and maybe, oh, okay. Go uh, ahead and pick that game and then I've got a oh. little bonus section. Oh, oh producer Cameron. Cameron. Bonus, <laughs> bonus picks. All right. Bonus. Um, Georgia versus Alabama. Alabama is a 13 and a half point favorite. However, it should be noted this game is being played in Atlanta mm. for what that's worth. Hot Atlanta. Okay. Uh, I am going to pick Georgia. Wow. Even though I don't think they're going to win. You just want those two points. I, I mean, want them. That's, that could that Okay, could little, little playoff scenario. Yeah. I, honestly, I kind of hate how the playoff is determined sometimes because I think recency bias is like used like unbelievably. Yeah. I mean, there's no, honestly should not be any scenario where Alabama does not make the playoff at this point. Correct. But there, that will still be hotly debated if they somehow lose to Georgia. Yes. That they but should not make the playoff as a one-loss team anybody, just because they just lost. Yeah. Anybody who thinks that one-loss Alabama should not be in the playoff, but one-loss Ohio State should be. That's exactly exactly. You're you should just be comparing the losses basically the, the one loss versus the one mm, loss yeah. but just the fact that alabama just lost will somehow catapult them like behind ohio state in people's minds i i, I really don't think that the committee would do that i think that they would get it right yeah i and think bama's safe at this point no matter what unless they just get blown out but i i still i don't yeah even, there's, i mean it's no way it's gonna ohio happen they got blown out by purdue so yeah that's so, no matter what happens to alabama in this championship game they should still be, be worse than um, Ohio State getting blown out by Purdue. Correct. I Georgia still, being number four right now, obviously they have to win to get in. Yeah. I still think they have one loss right now, yeah. Georgia. Depending on how this game goes, I still think Georgia could be worthy of like a number four seed if they even have two losses. But I would have to have, I'd have to see how it stacks up against everybody else. But yeah. I if you're just picking the four best teams, I think Georgia they might probably be are deserving in the four best teams. But I, I would not argue against somebody who thinks, you know, 
that a one loss team Mm -hmm. either way i don't really care all that much but i I agree that i think you can probably make the case for for either way producer cameron i have a question for you am i a terrible person slash sec homer in that i actually want georgia to beat alabama so that they both make the the playoff i definitely do as well are we terrible sec homers for that Mm. I mean, who else are you going to get? Not the worst homers. Who else are you going to get? Ohio State? You want to see Ohio State in the playoff? I mean, I'm sorry. You, the freaking slime ball yeah. of what's-his-face. I don't, I don't want to see Ohio State there. No. Who, who's the other people that you could see? Um, Michigan? Michigan. I have no affinity for Michigan. Yeah. Uh, I don't I'd know. I'd be fine if, if Schmiffigan. <laughs> Michigan got it. Well, Schmiffigan's a whole different story. I, I'd be on board with Schmiffigan as well. I would well. love to see Schmiffigan. But... <laughs> oh, Notre Dame. They're like yeah. the other one. I, I don't like any of these teams anyway, so I might as well just get two SEC wow, teams. you are an there. SEC homer. Yeah, and freaking Missouri deserves to be there anyway, so I think they could slip in. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I mean, yeah, Missouri versus Alabama in the, in the SEC championship game, that would be that'd be a rematch that I'd really want to mm-hmm. see. Oh, yeah. All right, I'm going to pick Alabama. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Now, Producer Cameron, what, what's your... You're just trying to extend that lead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. This better not cost me. You're really rubbing win. your hands together. This ought to be good. <laughs> he's, got an, he's got an idea. Going to get some bonus points up in here. Okay. I want you both to try and pick the bowl that Mizzou's going to play in for <laughs> five points. Oh, my. <laughs> and oh. their opponent in whatever bowl... Are you doing research over there? Yeah. For <laughs> 10 points. Oh I'm, going, I'm going school turkey. What was that? Uh, 10, 10, po- 10 points for picking Mizzou's bowl opponent. Their opponent. opponent. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to just ignore all of the rumors I've heard about the Music City Bowl picking Purdue or whatever. And I think Missouri will land in the Music City Bowl against Wisconsin. That's like best case scenario, at least I think. Yeah, but we'll see. Best case, scenario. best case scenario, Alexander. Um, well, Cameron, I have to do a little research because yeah, of course I don't have many other options besides the one you just took. I don't want to say the exact same thing you did. Um, what if Cameron chokes away his? It's not gonna happen. <laughs> I like pass him like <laughs> one point all in this. Oh. Like a whole season of Georgia just, beats like, Alabama and erased. you get both of these correct and you beat Cameron by one point. <laughs> I'll uh, file an injunction. That's okay. I've got more more ideas for okay. some pick them in the next few weeks. All right. Give me. Give me. I don't even know if this makes sense. <laughs> Give me Missouri versus Baylor. Oh my! Out of nowhere. In the Liberty Bowl. You could definitely get. It's pretty much at this point either the Music City or the Liberty. Yeah. Because Florida and LSU are going to the NY Six Bowls, and Kentucky is probably going to grab the Citrus. And A and M will be ahead, probably in the tax layer. So that means the next two are Music City and Liberty. I'm pretty sure. Well, well Mississippi State's the in there somewhere too, in one of those bowls that are probably be above Missouri. So at this point, it looks like uh, they'll be in the Music City unless they 
choose Purdue, and they'll probably they'll play Vanderbilt to ha- avoid the rematch. Yeah, which is probably not going to happen. I'm going to lose. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? All right, that's that's all the bonus for this week. Or you have more for this week? Nope, that's it for this okay. week. Okay. Wow. Man, right. that is just an adrenaline rush. Jeez, put me on the spot. I don't know bowls. Okay. That's why it's bonus. Wow. So it's extra credit, so it doesn't count against you. So uh, I win. No. Oh. Oh. It's bonus. Okay. Not extra credit. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, Kyle, any, anything else for the folks? I don't think we skipped anything. Yeah, we've uh, we've thrown a lot at them tonight. Yeah. Um, I don't think I have anything else for for the people, for the folks. Yep. Watch uh, Selection Sunday for the bowl decision. Kelly Bryant decision. Kelly Bryant decision on the 4th. Is that the same day? No. 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 That's Tuesday. A couple days later. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, I guess that's it for this week. We'll be right back next week. We will react to the bowl selection, and we will look at some definitely winnable games coming up on Missouri's basketball schedule. Mm. Will you let them know where they can find us? Sure. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, and Spotify. You can tweet us at Mizzou Sports Pod. And you can email us at MissouriSportsPod at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter as well, C underscore Albert 08. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.